Hi, this is Michael Waits and welcome back to India Game Changer. Today, we are lucky to have Manvi Mera and Sagar Menon, the co-founders of Giverly. How are you two doing today? Lovely, Michael. So glad to be here with you. Thank you so much for inviting us, firstly. It is my complete pleasure. Yeah, Michael, we have uh, heard your podcast before. It's, a, it's an honor to be you know, invited as a, as a guest, finally. <laughs> finally. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And before we jump into the main part of this conversation, maybe we can get a little bit of a background from both of you as well, right? So why don't we start with you, Manvi? I've uh, spent, I think, the last three, four years in the startup ecosystem. Started as uh, the head of investor relations for a leading startup accelerator in India called India Accelerator. I've worked with, I think, what, over 80 startups on their fundraising strategy, their go-to-market strategy. Spend a lot of time with um, founders to understand, you know, their pain points, how to chalk out their uh, ideology, strategies, so on and so forth. So I think that's given me a good sort of hold of uh, the different domains of a company and perhaps a lot of references as to what to do and what not to do on a startup founder's journey. And um, I think that's where uh, the spark also came by having... Uh, worked with so many startups i thought you know now it's perhaps the right time for me to go ahead and launch something of my own also i have uh, also invested in a couple of startups so i think i that gives me a good sort of an understanding of how an investor looks at different startups as well what goes into evaluating what uh, you know sort of appeals to them etc over to sagar yeah so michael i am a lawyer by profession i graduated from law school in 2018 but in 2017, I started my first uh, startup in the music music tech space. It went very well. And then I worked for a legal tech startup. That's what got me into the startup ecosystem. Then I went to Australia to pursue my master's in innovation and entrepreneurship. And I was working pre-COVID. I was working on an idea which was, you know, in the hospitality industry. And then COVID happened, took, it by, took the hospitality industry by a storm. Yeah. And so I was like, I was lost. Like, what do I do now? Now it's not going to work out. And that's when Giverly, the idea for Giverly came. And yeah, now building Giverly. I love it. Manvi, can I go back to you for a second? You said you helped over 80 companies raise money, sure. right? Can you just tell me some of the insights that you gained from that? I mean, if you'd just done eight, it's not such a big sample size, but 80 is really large, right? What did you learn? First and foremost, I would say a lot of startups firstly go wrong, like the multiple steps as to, you know, what perhaps a couple of different dimensions which make a startup fundable from that perspective, right? First and foremost, I think where startups go wrong is at identifying a good market gap, you know. A lot of them just yeah. want to build and they're just blindly going forward with it. I think the first step um, is to identify a good problem so that there is a good enough need for what you're building and therefore a good enough market acceptability thereafter right second i think um, a lot of them uh, do not give that much sort of importance to getting revenues on board because so much funding has sort of inflowed and the startup ecosystem yeah. has been the hot topic for the last so many you know i mean last couple of years i think uh, the focus tended uh, to shift more on making a gmv as opposed to getting actual profits into the company, yeah. which again was, uh, you know, I personally, I feel that is one sort of area where founders tend to go wrong. 
and uh, thereafter i think scalability again is something that requires a lot of focus what you're building may work you know in a small niche help you reach from point a to point b but that is not where you want to stop right from an investor perspective also the investor has to be able to see that you would be able to take the startup from point a to point z right that is where the end goal is That's the end the horizon is. has to be massive yeah correct i mean majority of the startups that i've seen fail have at the base level been because of founder issues which is a uh, very very sad a lot of time people tend to let their egos and you know anger and so on and so forth sort of come in the way of what the dream that they initially saw so i think that is again something that uh, we've been very conscious of and uh, i think that's where both sagan and i have been that's would quite good in terms of uh, you know uh, the alignment that both of us have so yeah i think if you have these basic four five things sorted and the intent to sort of do something good and build something massive i think that is all that it takes I think in some ways you can compare a good founding team to a good marriage team and you can tell from really far away oh, like it's cuz it's, it's just as hard if not harder and you can really tell from far away you can look at some people and just be like that marriage is going to be really hard and then you can look at the founding team and just think yeah that founding team is probably going to get divorced kind of thing <laughs> anyway so I want to come to you for a second correct correct I want to come to you for a second because mommy talked about a market gap is the market gap big enough is it worth filling and talk to me about about Giverly and about the market gap that you're trying to fill there and why this is so necessary first i'll talk about how we came up with the idea for giverly right mm. so see manvi and i we both believe that as entrepreneurs crisis any kind of a crisis situation right it changes a lot of industries but it also fosters a lot of innovation and also come gives a lot of opportunities for entrepreneurship right as i said i was working on a different idea that industry was completely shaken up by covid but on the other hand we also saw that online shopping was booming yep. right uh, there were about a million families alone in australia that year who had never shopped online but yep. started shopping online right and on the other side we saw that all over the globe these ngos and charities were facing a lot of problems in fundraising they could not do their fundraising events because of the social distancing uh, people were also having some decrease in disposable income right and people were not donating as much that's where we realized that you know why not take this online shopping boom and help charities also raise funds so our first product with giverly was an affiliate marketing platform where we partnered with more than 400 brands who would offer us a sales commission if every time we used to send a user to their website so we would st we started offering that commission as a cashback to the users and that cashback they could donate to the charities so people were shopping online but still making a difference without spending anything extra from their pocket right and our goal was always to not just stick to online we always wanted to be present wherever there is a transaction happening right so once covid you know the co effects of covid were passing by everything's uh, all the things were becoming normal that's when we decided to launch uh, debit cards with visa right so now we are a holistic payment solution we are present online we are present offline atm withdrawals anywhere so now a part of every transaction goes to a charity without the users having to spend anything extra can you tell me logistically how this works because the card thing kind of for lack of a better term changes the game in the way that this happens right because 
it now happens in a way that's probably way fr more frictionless and way more seamless for the user, right? But just tell me how it happens. How do I, first of all, sign up for a card? How do I even know it's possible? Second of all, how do I understand that when I do sign up, the reason for doing this is to get this benefit so that then I can contribute somewhere to do some social good, right? And then the third thing is, are you leaning on the payments of Visa and MasterCard? I think those are the two companies that you mentioned so that you don't have to create your own payment system as well. This just happens seamlessly on their side, which means they get a benefit too in some way, yeah? Can you just walk me through all of that? I know there's a lot there, but... So, uh, see, right now our go-to-market strategy is B2B2C, right? So we approach corporates, their HR teams uh, that give our giverly gift card, giverly card to your employees as a incentive gift or bonus card instead of giving an Amazon card or a closed loop card for the employees it's better because you know visa is acceptable wide, places, uh, widely yeah. you know you, yeah. they can use it wherever they want plus we have more than 800 brands that give us exclusive offers and discounts to the users so they save a lot of money as well Apart from that, they get the cash back and they can donate it to a charity of their choice. And they also give get the tax benefit of charitable donations. So the corp and then after every month, we send the corporates a monthly report of the impact that the employees have created. So the corporate then uses those reports and puts it in their CSR and ESG reporting. So it's a win-win situation for corporate as well as the employees. When I was at Goldman Sachs, right, they gave us a, an, an American Express card. And really, they gave us the Amex, not to be fancy, but just because they used Amex on the travel side as well, right? So that was just part of the whole suite of things that they did. Are you suggesting, though, that big companies can replace whatever card they give to their employees, whether it's for travel or for entertainment, right, T&E, that then they can replace that with this card and it automatically signs them up for this program where every time they buy something, even if it's not for themselves personally, but every time a transaction takes place, they have an opportunity, and I guess an obligation at some level, to contribute some money to an NGO or to some other sort of charitable organization. Is that right? Exactly, exactly. Any card they are using right now uh, can be replaced. There is an obligation. So the cashback that the employees get has to be donated to a charity, but to incentivize the employees to spend more, we have a lot of offers which you will not see on any other card. For the last uh, two years, we have focused on getting really good offers on the table. And since a social impact is attached to our program, the brands are also giving us offers that they're not giving on any other card. So you started this in 2021, right? That's not barely two years ago. And you said you have 800... I want to get this right. Brands or is it 400 brands and then 800 um, corporate partners? Either way, it doesn't matter. There's still two huge numbers for two years, right? You can correct me if I'm wrong. How did the how did it grow so how, how did it grow so big so fast? That's a lot, right? Both me and Manvi started working on the brand side initially, and then before our card was launched, right? We made a team for just for partnerships because we wanted to make sure that the card is a very attractive to the users and not just in India, all over the globe. Now, every corporate wants to associate with some social impact now. Right. So for us, it was very easy to get them on board. Uh, they were very excited from day one, from our initial conversation. So our cycle to close any deal was very, very small. It must've been, you know, we would get extra offers. And then we also started receiving emails from companies 
companies started approaching at one point you know oh, we want to promote our product we want to give these discounts to your users and so all happened it's a multiple ways and a very smooth journey in that front to be very honest are you surprised by the growth in other words when you went out and started making your first sales calls right you built that first sales team when they started coming back and just saying like yeah everybody wants to sign up for this thing was it a bit surprising or not really it was surprising in a pleasant way i would say because again i think the beauty of our model michael is that there is nothing extra going out of the user's pocket yeah. you know all they have to do and our pitch is very very simple from that perspective right all they have to do is just use the giveaway card for their everyday spending and shopping right this is expenditure which they would otherwise also do from you know any other card or cash or any other medium that they've been using right so we're just telling them instead of that you just use this giveaway card so that there is somebody else who would benefit with it while you get a lot of you know perks and discounts and also avail a tax benefit on it so you're saving up money you're getting a tax benefit on it and somebody else in some village is getting food or shelter or first aid because just because you've chosen the giveaway card to make the payment that's how it's been and that's what we intend to do what do you expect growth to look like going forward i mean i feel like you've already made a ton of progress but you know you could get to 1600 brands or however many brands pretty quickly as well right i mean particularly now that we're out of covid it does it does it make sense for you to travel and do this thing globally i presume it's not just in india yeah absolutely um, that is the uh, long term vision right now we're only operating in india but even before we launched here we did a small pilot run in australia for sure um like sagar said he was there to do his masters so we did a three month pilot run there raised about 15 lakhs in donation did that then launched here and the reason why we did that and the reason why all our at least 90% of the partnerships that we've done also are all globally recognizable right these are you know globally operating brand in terms of logistics also every partnership that we've done is sort of globally acceptable because we want to take this to a, a you know to a very global level down the line there are a couple of geographies that we've already identified where we intend to be in the next 2 3 years and um, then across the globe from there the long term vision is that any transaction that happens anywhere across the globe should happen with the giveaway card and therefore you know donation should be made with that impacting somebody else's life in a positive way yeah I'm just thinking so did did this change the flow for Visa and Mastercard as well like did they have to build some new technology or did you just create some kind of API they can connect to that solves that problem for them Right Michael so Visa didn't have to do anything so Visa is just our uh, payment processing partner right Got it so the actual payment goes through Visa so uh, I don't know how technical I can get here but as much as you want so the business so there are two logics in our app right one is the business logic perfect i'm not a tech person but i've learned through on this journey only so so there are two logics right there's a business logic mm-hmm. which is completely managed by giverly and then there is a banking logic which is managed by visa where all the payments are happening so anything from cashbacks to charity to donations to discounts everything is managed by giverly and then of course we are just uh, there's a there are two apis interacting with each other each other uh, with each other so business logic comes with giverly the banking and the payments and processing happens at the visa level so they didn't have to do any changes on in their tech it's just uh, we are connected through apis 
Yeah, it makes sense. Are there other cards? Like, is it possible for other cards to do this? Or is this just going to be something that's exclusive to Visa and MasterCard, you know, into perpetuity? Do you know what I mean? Because I can imagine that other cards would want to do it as well. Yeah. And even and there's so many ways to use this kind of product. You could vanity card this for other people that already use Visa and MasterCard to this and add this on as a service to them as well. Or particularly if you're getting better benefits from, I'm just going to pick a brand, right? Like if Adidas is saying to you, we're going to give you this brand and we're not giving it to anybody else. In a way, it's almost an incentive for some of the other card holders, meaning people that service cards and give out cards to say, hey, wait a second. If they're going to be a billion people using a Giverly card, we want our users to get these benefits too. I mean, in a way, it has social impact, which is great, right? Because you cycle finance through the Giverly app to then give that money to people that need it that didn't have a way to get it before. And it doesn't cost anybody anything because they're spending the money anyway the corporates benefit from it because they can potentially even make more money from this. We'll do more transactions with you if I get the better benefit and then I'm giving money away to charity or to help an NGO, right? And then the people feel good about it too. I mean, there are just benefits everywhere, no, right? So will other cards do this too? We, we don't have any, any exclusivity with Visa. We will be launching uh, this with another other uh, networks also like MasterCard and we have an Indian network called Rupe here. Uh, right so we will be launching with them and if any corporate or any other issuer wants to do this uh, we also offer a co-branded option so instead of the giverly card it will be giverly plus that corporate or an issuer card Got so it. it will be customized and everything and they can use give it issue it to their users so instead of just giving the tech we do a co-branded card with the corporates one of the things you mentioned at the beginning, this idea of crisis innovation, right? In other words, when something that we don't anticipate happens, we used to say, because I, I was in the stock market for two decades, right? We used to say that market dislocation always creates an opportunity, right? Because it just means that people are completely unsure about what the right thing to do. If a ton of people are selling stuff, maybe it's a buying opportunity. If everybody's buying too much, maybe it's a selling opportunity. But whatever it is, it creates an opportunity. Do you feel like there was a mindset change during COVID? Because that's the most recent crisis that we've had where people said, okay, wait a second, my life is fragile. And if mine is fragile and I'm resource advantaged, there must be a ton of other people out there that are resource disadvantaged and their life must be way more fragile than mine. Do you feel like that people started feeling that? And then when they saw this as an opportunity to give back, that that was also part of the growth story? Definitely, Michael. First mindset change was ours, right? We were building something very different, uh, you know, before Giverly. And uh, once we saw the aftermath, once we saw how, you know, things are going, we decided that we have, we want to build a social impact company, right? And at that time, we read a lot of report, reports also. There were a lot of interviews, reports and surveys going on and uh, people wanted to give back to the society. And Let's just talk about COVID. When COVID happened, contactless became a new technology category, right? Contactless payments, contactless food ordering, contactless checkouts. So anybody who can develop that technology in any industry, there was an opportunity, business opportunity there for them, right? So crisis always, I think, brings out innovation and business opportunities and that's what that's what get got us started. And then we read reports that yes, people want to donate, people want to give back more. Charities also realized that they cannot sustain just on fundraising events, right? Charities realize that they also have to create multiple more sustainable revenue streams because more than 30% charities globally had to shut down their operations, 
Did they really? Because they did not have the funds to survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we read all all these reports and we saw yes, charities are also changing. Charities are more acceptable now that they want to create multiple streams. They want to also adopt technology so that they don't just rely on uh, physical events to raise funds. And also they were relying on a few donors, high high net worth individuals yeah. in India. They would donate. A common public, uh, like Australia, was very different. Even a sixteen year old working at McDonald's would, you know, donate monthly. But in India, it's only the, I would say, middle class, upper middle class, or higher class people who were donating. Uh, we want to give opportunity to everybody, you know, to give back to the society. There are two questions here, really. What is credit card penetration like in India to begin with? And then, second of all, what is the usage like? In other words, even if everybody has, so in Thailand they always say oh, penetration is low, but it's not really low. It's just that a lot of people don't use it. So I'm just curious what those dynamics are like in India. And then I want to talk. I just want to remind myself about this so I don't forget. But I also want to talk about: Are there unique benefits in India because of UPI, right? The Unified Payments Interface and how that connects everybody basically to the same payment system. It should really accelerate the growth for this too. But let's address the first thing first, right? The card penetration and the card usage. Sure, Michael. See, credit card, credit card. Yes, they still remain uh, the, one of the most popular modes of payment in India. Right. In fact, despite of UPI, because we see that anything, any payment below two thousand rupees, mm-hmm. you know, is where UPI has the major. share sure right but anything above 2000 rupees people do prefer using credit cards or debit cards and prepaid cards uh, upi of course is much more acceptable because even a street side peddler will accept upi but they might not accept a card right and that's where the small transactions are happening in india prepaid cards which is what givali offers are uh, gaining popularity for two reasons you know one is Ever since UPI came, right, overspending has increased because we honestly yeah. don't keep track. Just a scanner, just scan pay, just scan pay. It's so quick, it's so convenient that people yeah, that forget they're paying. Spending. It doesn't feel like spending. It's a weird dynamic, right? Sorry, go ahead. I interrupted you. Yeah, yeah. It's like there are so many jokes around that uh, Instagram reels that we are paying through UPI as if the company is paying. The UPI company is paying for us. <laughs> Right, we just don't stop. At least twenty, thirty times we are scanning a QR code per day. So prepaid cards uh, gain popularity uh, because prepaid cards are a very uh, good way to manage expenses. Right, you receive your salary, you set aside set aside a portion of it in your prepaid card, and you know this is how much you want to spend in this month. Right, we give them a tracker, we give them uh, insights also on their expenditure. So yes, prepaid cards are increasing. UPI, yes, people are slowly realizing that yes, we are overspending because we are using UPI, and so yeah, prepaid card industry will continue to boom uh, across the globe. Is there a way to build the other side of this? And I'll tell you what I mean, right? So if I have a card, I can use that card. to to spend and then i obviously give some of that money i get some cash back and then i donate that money to an ngo or a charity can you also sign up the merchant so on the flip side like you said even a street merchant right or just a regular merchant even if it's like a 7-11 store or something like that right and say to them you sign up too and if the person that comes in and buys something whether it's with cash or some other payment method right or scans the barcode doesn't have a card 
but they're still doing something electronically. I mean, this could be one of the big benefits of fintech. You could walk me through this. They just the store then gets the money and contributes, right? So that that so that that money is not lost, if that makes sense, right? Because both would potentially do it if they knew it was possible. But maybe the person who's buying didn't know that the card thing was possible, so that that money kind of just gets lost in the system. But if you sign up the merchant as well, do you know what I mean? They can also give. Is that possible? Uh, technically, it's possible, but uh, financially, I would say it's not very feasible for any company to do that. See, we are using Visa, so all the merchants are already covered who are using a POS machine. Fair enough. Uh, but right now, but right now, the cashback that comes from is from the transaction fee that Visa charges the merchant. Got it. Okay. Right. Yep. So the cashback that the end user is getting is actually charged to the merchant. Got it. Okay. So there would be double so dipping on merchant the merchant. Pays the merchant visa, pay, visa pays us and exactly. exactly. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's why, but we do have, we do see, we have a scan and pay feature in pipeline for Givelly also. Uh, we will be getting into UPI, but just waiting for some, waiting for the right time to come. How, how big is the company now? In terms of the team size, Michael? Yeah. So we're about, uh, we have a founding team of about eight people, an outsource tech team of about uh, 20 odd people okay. and uh, an outsource marketing team and legal is outsourced. So the core founding team is about eight people right now, full time in-house. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's pretty asset light. Building company culture, and this is so hard, you know, I'm in the process of building something too, and building company culture is really hard. You learn a lot about yourself and about like what you're willing to put up with and what motivates people. But I always like to say that like, I don't have a monopoly on the right idea, right? Or the best idea for sure. How do you set up a company from the beginning, particularly in a fast moving market to encourage people, make them feel safe that they can like have an idea. And even if it doesn't work, that they can still come back with more ideas. Does that make sense? So that they're not, in, they're not like afraid of saying the wrong thing, but they want to contribute. Absolutely. So I think because both Saga and I have been a part of the startup ecosystem and worked with multiple different companies over the last three, four years, yep. right from day one, uh, you know, we've been very supportive of our team's innovative thinking and, you know, ideas that they've come forward with. In fact, we've always motivated them to, I mean, come and tell us of new products, new verticals, new companies that we could, you know, perhaps launch under the Givali umbrella. Our idea right from the very start was that, you know, we want to launch a range of multiple innovative technology products. So right now the prepaid debit card is just the first one. We do have plans of launching other products as well, other verticals as well, other subdomains as well. So in fact, I mean, we have a dedicated slot every week with our team where we just brainstorm on, you know, different ideas, different approaches of doing what we're existingly doing, so on and so forth. So I think that sort of, uh, you know, barrier is something that you really have to break the team from day one. You should be open enough um, to both, you know, criticism and acceptability to come from the other end. Um, we've always encouraged them to, I mean, in fact, we sit in the same room with all of our team members. So there's, they can literally, I mean, we just literally keep talking amongst each other throughout the day. They don't have to take any appointment to come and sit with me or Sagar or, you know, just ask out for a dedicated time slot. So I think that sort of an openness has helped us uh, to, you know, better engage with them. Can you tell me how many cardholders you have right now? 
So um, this month, uh, we would have about 5,000 cards out in the market. Um, it's been about roughly two months since the card has been out. We did a small pilot before launching, you know, subsequent number, I mean, a tangible number in the market because we wanted to be sure of all the testing and, you know, uh, that everything runs off smoothly. So right now, by the end of this month, we'd have 5,000 cards, but we already have pre-orders of over 1 lakh cards to be dispersed before the end of this financial year. So I think the growth from here on is going to be quite substantial. So I have to go back to one of my common questions. You're building a fintech, you're giving out cards to people, people are going to trust you with their money, right? I mean, you're not taking their money, but they're trusting you to transact with them or to help them transact. Once you build trust, there's an intractable problem, right? Not just in India, but in the rest of Asia as well, for insurance penetration. Plenty of companies, including Policy Bazaar and others have been trying to solve this, right? They get into somebody's wallet, and then they feel like we should be able to offer them insurance products because it's just another finance product, right? It may be coming from a different angle, but coverage is important to people. And particularly, you talked about, again, crisis innovation, right? People come out of COVID thinking, boy, it would have been better if I'd had health insurance kind of thing. Are you thinking about this as well? Definitely, Michael. So this is, as a corporate product, right, it makes even more sense. Uh, corporates want to give... Uh, insurance to their employees, a lot of coverage uh, that they give, right? So that is in pipeline, but uh, we are already talking to some players in this insurance uh, space of how we can integrate with them and either offer some uh, benefits on the Giverly card, right? We won't want to be, we don't want to create a new product from scratch, but we believe in collaboration, right? So uh, we are already in talks with some people for a corporate offering that, okay, give this card to your employees. They will get these, these benefits. They will get uh, a chance to donate. They will get tax benefit. And also there are insurance options as well. Got it. And then we are working with the companies that can only see, once you get the insurance, it's a completely different story. Once you're about to claim that insurance, right? That's where the... That's where the uh, rubber hits the road, the as we like to say, yeah. Exactly. So a lot of startups in India are trying to solve that, right? And we want to launch something with such startups where we also just not provide insurance, but also help them claim timely claims and of all those things. Yeah. So that's where the problem is because insurance is accessible these days. But the claims are very, especially in India, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you may or may not know this, but I do the largest um, insure tech podcast in the world. So very familiar with the problems. <laughs> um in the tech stack, in the insurance space. And yeah, claims is one of the things that they're really trying to solve. Because if even if I have a great policy, if at the end of the day, something bad happens and I can't get my claim, what was the point? This, Mamvila, I want to start this one with you too. And then go back to Sagar, if that's okay. What does impact look like to you at scale? Right? So if you, what, what, what is it going to have to happen for you to feel like, okay, now we're really having impact? I think... Oh. Like I said in the beginning, when every transaction across the globe is happening via the Giverly card and therefore a life is being impacted with it. I think that is the scale um, that we see Giverly operating at and um, we're not going to stop till we're there. I think that is the only acceptable level of scale that at least the both of us have in our mind. Okay. Is there anything in your past for both of you, right? And again, this is for both of you, but is there anything in your past that informs this where you can look back at something that happened to you when you were in middle school or in high school or in university and thought, 
oh, I'm definitely going to be in this space at some point in time, right? Because the difference between this kind of social giving and hospitality is like night and day. So I'm just curious if we, if both of you have these stories from when you were younger that informs this. So it's not a surprise to like your friends and family. They're like, oh yeah, they were going to do this for sure kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I think firstly, right from the very childhood, my grandmother has been a, she's a gynecologist and she's also been a philanthropist. She is a, she does free OPD once every week. Right. Um, and you see about 50 different I mean, at least 50 patients line up uh, to her to get tested from her, etc. So I've I've just grown up with that sentiment of, you know, wanting to do something for the society. Yeah. Secondly, um, I think during college time, I worked with a couple of different NGOs um, as internships, as, you know, volunteering activities and realized that, uh, I mean, it's kind of sad to see that it's a lot of them are sort of, you know, I mean, there's gap between what is showcased and what is actually done on ground. Um, so this was one thing that we were very conscious of while, you know, associating ourselves with charities. We deployed a legal team on ground to make sure that, you know, every charity that we partnered with, there were no red flags in their books. Right. There was, Legitimate. you know, actual work that they had been doing for at least the last two years of their operations. So I think a lot of gaps that we saw, but yes, these two things are what majorly, you know, um, sort of pushed me into this direction of doing this further. And Sagar has a very interesting story. I think I'm now I'm going to pass it on to him. I can't wait. And then I'll let you, and then I'll let you two go, but I want to hear this story first. It's not a story, Michael, but yeah, it's, it's a feeling I would say. So, you know, Tell me. how when we were kids, right, uh, we would write a lot of essays in school about, uh, we'll change the world. We want, we don't want, we don't like corruption. Right. Uh, we'll make India corruption free. And, so I used to write that too, of course. But as as in when we grew up, we were writing that we don't want corruption. But when it comes to when you're stopped by a cop, right, you're the first one who will try to bribe them. Yeah, right? it's interesting, right? And right. And the other thing is, you know, every kid, every person, I think deep down subconsciously wants to still change the world, still wants to do something good. But then your own life's uh, needs and wants Get uh, take over. And then that, yeah that dream just fades away. You're so, uh, other problems come and everything. So I always wanted to give this dream another chance. Right. And my goal was to retire by 35, right. Make so much money being a lawyer or whatever, right. make a lot of money and then start giving back. Uh, so, but I met this, this person once, right. A very senior guy, a mentor to me. And I told him this plan that I'm going to reach 35. I'm going to make a lot of money and then I'll give back. He said that, why are you waiting for money to help people? Exactly. I mean, that, that's, anybody can do that, right? Anybody can, when they have money, anybody, everybody becomes a philanthropist. Right. Uh, so the, the, the idea was always there in my head, but it was, I would say, at the bottom of the list, uh, like, you know, a similar idea for Givali. COVID just bumped that idea from 10 to 1, basically. Did you, sorry, I just have to ask one more question, then I'll let you go. But did you feel the change inside yourself? Because it's a really good point, right? That I think that only somebody who's been through this can understand. Somebody who's who's older, maybe, or already had made some money, or just never even thought about the fact that they want to make money first, but just want to give back. When you heard that, did you think, yeah, actually, what am I waiting for? Because look, I went through this process myself, right? You make a ton of money when you're young and you're like, oh, I'm just going to give it all away. And then you realize 
you don't have to wait for that to actually help because what changes your life and what changes the lives of somebody who has nothing is really like night and day, you know? Definitely. So Michael, I believe in signs that universe gives us signs, right? So after I had this conversation with my professor, so this was my professor in Australia, mm -hmm. and then COVID hit, I would go home, turn on the TV, yeah. and I would see like a NGO promoting ads and everything. Then I would walk down the street and people were collecting donations on the street, right? So right. it was like a, I'd say it's like, it was a series of events that happened, that conversation and all those signs. And then you won't believe it. I randomly bumped into a video, a uh, Bill Gates interview. You, you know, I don't know if you know the story, uh, but it's a very interesting story. So when Bill Gates was not very popular, right, he would fly he was flying he was at the air, at an airport and he wanted to read the newspaper right and then there was a newspaper vendor there and uh, but Bill Gates did not have uh, money to buy a newspaper so that guy just gave it for free right <laughs> that's so good is and this true two years three two years yeah yes, it's actually you can uh, youtube it also and then two three years later Bill, Bill Gates became very popular very rich and uh, he was at the same airport he went to that vendor he said that, see, now I'm Bill Gates, I'm rich. How can I help you? And that the vendor, that vendor said, uh, nothing you can do will equate to what I did for you, right? Because I gave you a free newspaper when I had nothing. Now you are so rich and now you're helping me. Yeah. Uh, I don't need anything from you. And so again, series of events happened. And then I also felt that change, of course. Like, you know, you don't have to wait. And see, money brings money brings corruption also i don't I'm not sure if i had that much money if i would donate actually or not my mindset would have changed by then so there's no right time to do good i think people should not wait okay i'm gonna end on that Manvi Mera and sagramanon the co-founders of giverly i hope that was as good for you as it was for me thank you so much for doing that thank you mike thank you so much michael it was lovely chatting with you